Hey, welcome to The Sojourn. This is Proverb. Hey, before we get started and and talking to our guest this week, I want to make sure to give a shout out and respect to all my national and international listeners, especially in Spain, Canada, India, and the UK. So thank you guys. Keep doing what you do by spreading the word of what we're doing and keep listening uh, week after week. Really appreciate that. Um, You guys are making it happen. So keep journeying with me. All right. So this week we have Michelle Turner on the show. Michelle is a friend and a co-worker, actually, right, um, who I work with here at a nonprofit here in, in West Palm Beach, Florida. And we're going to investigate Michelle's journey just a little bit and, and find out what makes Michelle, Michelle. How you doing, Michelle? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. So let's start at the beginning. So you're not a native Floridian. Where, where are you from originally? I'll give you the typical answer of a military brat. I'm from all over. Uh. The longest I ever lived somewhere was six years. I lived in Germany for six years. And then I also have lived in England, Japan, New Mexico, Alabama, and Florida. So your dad is in the military or was in the military? Well, both of my parents are civilians for the military. They've traveled around all the different branches except for the Marines. But uh, my dad currently works for the Navy. He used to work for the Air Force. And my mom works for the Army. So um, neither of them were ever active duty. Okay. So, see, that was just my assumption, thinking that because you're a military brat, that one or both of your parents had to be in a branch of the military. That is an unfair assumption. <laughs> my apologies <laughs> for that. So so your dad is working for the Navy right now. What does your mom do? She does finances for the Army. Um, and my dad manages uh, basically enlisted clubs for the Navy, but he used to be a golf course manager for almost 30 years for the Air Force. Now, you kind of had uh, international upbringing. So do you speak multiple languages as well? I only speak German. It's not fluent, but it's pretty conversational. Uh, My mom is Filipino, so people ask me all the time if I speak Tagalog, but I do not. If you speak what? Tagalog. What is that? Uh, So Tagalog is basically the Filipino national language, but there's also hundreds of islands in the Philippines, so um, they have all their different dialects, but it would be Tagalog or Filipino would be the national norm or standard. Okay. So as you're growing up everywhere... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and all those different continents and stuff and countries. What did, what did you want to do? What was your ideal, like, when I grow up, I'm going to be... Not in the military. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, people said, what, you know, what is, what's the guy that you're going to marry? What, what is he going to do? It's not going to be in the military. Um, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Do you want to move around? Um, I've always said I, I just want to be settled down one day. Um, I'm not in that phase of life yet, mm-hmm. but um, I think the dream would be to be kind of settled down in one spot. Who knows if it'll ever happen. So you want to settle down, grew up all over the place. You speak German. Can you speak German? Jawohl. What does that mean? Yeah, man. <laughs> now it's just like, yeah, certainly. Okay, cool. I went to Germany once. Germany was, was kind of cool. The one thing I remember is that we hit this, and I was a senior in high school, mm-hmm. so it was a senior class trip. We went to this pub, and uh, there was a lot of beer and steins flowing freely. I remember that, and I remember doing the chicken dance. 
like <laughs> it's like a vivid memory of me doing a chicken dance in a German pub with steins and beer flowing freely all around me. It was like the best time. I wasn't drinking, obviously, because, you know, I couldn't. I was underage and I don't drink, but it was just fun, you know, just mm. fun having that memory. But that was my only memory of Germany ever. Mm. That sounds like the most German thing that you could ever do. And here's a caveat to that whole trip, right? So when I went, there was still a West and East Germany. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, just as a as a disclaimer for everyone, I'm I'm 22 years <laughs> old. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I actually saw the wall. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I can say that. That's pretty dope. All right. So now you're here in United States of America in the sunny state of Florida, Sunshine State. And what brought you here? It was a long journey. Speaking of journeys. Um, That's what we do here. Right. So I went to high school in Germany, graduated from an American high school in Germany on a base. Um, and then I was I knew that I was going to be moving to the States with my dad. So um Basically, I said, okay, it's time for college. Where am I going to go to college? We're moving to Florida. Let's look at all the possible options. Um, signed up to go to, you know, UF, FSU, UWF, all the state schools, got into all of those. Um, but I had just gotten serious about my faith and um, decided, okay, maybe I'll apply for a Christian school. I've never been to one before. I don't know what that's all about. Right kind of thought it would be full of homeschoolers or just <laughs> I wasn't sure what to expect. Wow. Um, homeschoolers. Yeah, it was it was real. That was that was my thought. Just homeschoolers and just weird folks. So wow. um yeah, I called a, a rep from Palm Beach Atlantic University, which is here in West Palm and um and he basically talked me through what, what the school would look like and I said, Yeah, I wanna do this. So um, I committed without even visiting the school Whoa. and yeah. That's huge right there. Yeah. I mean, you could have got here and it could have been trash. Seriously. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So you chose PBA and you came to West Palm Beach, Florida, um, and you came from Germany to West Palm. Is that right? Uh, actually, no. Sorry. There was a little gap period in there, okay. As, okay. as there almost always is. But um, we moved from Germany to Niceville, Florida, which is up in the Panhandle near Panama City Beach, Pensacola. And that was about six months in between high school and college. Um, and then I just moved to West Palm kind of on a on a whim. I had scholarships and whatnot, so it made sense. But okay. um, at the same time, it was like, well, we'll see what happens when we pull up. And I loved it. So Niceville, Florida kind of really sounds like it's small. Is that is that accurate? That is an accurate assumption. Okay, so like one stoplight? Mm, no, not really. Um, so Destin is becoming a huge like tourist destination in Florida, sure. and um, it's right next to Destin. So, And it's also where a military base is. So they have the military community plus the tourist community makes for just a small town with, you know, a normal amount of traffic lights. Yeah, okay. So coming out of, you know, your international background and being all over the world and, and then Niceville, um, what was West Palm like in comparison to all that? I mean, I know what it's like because I'm a, I'm a West Palm Beach native. I love this place like you would not believe. I, I think it's the greatest place on, on the planet. Uh, and I'm blessed enough to be born here and live here and raise my family here. But what are your thoughts on West Palm coming from an international type background? Yeah, that's rough. Well, there's a whole story to it, but... Um I wasn't shocked by city life. It's kind of a small city, and I had traveled to a lot of different cities. Had never lived by a big city, but um, I guess it was a little bit new to me. When I moved here, it was definitely too hot. That was my first impression. Mm -hmm. It was just way too hot, way too humid. 
Um, but okay, I'll get through it. I played golf in college, so for for two years straight, I was just wearing sunscreen every single day, like all over. So <laughs> I was just sunscreen everywhere. Um, and by the end of college, I was convinced I have to get out of here. I have to get out of West Palm. It's not because I hate it. It's just not the place for me. I like the cold. Um, I, I wouldn't mind being in a different city. So anyway, graduation came up and I was like convinced I'm moving somewhere else. I'm moving somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the opportunities fell through. I had been looking into a lot of a lot of different things out of state or even just North Florida, and um, everything fell through. And I was like, okay, God, like, what do you have for me here? Um, I started working in a restaurant after I graduated, big shot. <laughs> and um, I was like, can't do this forever. And um, eventually found Urban Youth Impact, and that's how I ended up here. So what do you do at Urban Youth Impact on a, on a day-to-day basis? What do you do? I am Urban Youth Impact's discipline coordinator for the Leadership Academy. And what is the Leadership Academy? The Leadership Academy is an after-school program, kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, we're obviously a nonprofit, and um, we serve inner-city youth in the Tamarind Corridor. Now, you came out of the restaurant business, and now you find yourself working for a nonprofit. What the heck? Tell me about that. This is so interesting, um, and I realized this comparison almost as soon as I started working here, but the restaurant where I used to work, um, I won't name any names. Uh, uh, you can name them. It's okay. <laughs> mm, all right. I worked everywhere. We're going to share. Okay. So, uh, no one knows where that is. I mean, nobody knows. Sure, sure. I yeah. If I get sued, I get sued. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sorry. Bleep it out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I worked everywhere. We're going to share. Super high-class restaurant. Just like top of the line food, chefs, all that, you know, the whole nine yards and just serving, you know, West Palm Beach's finest, the richest. You know, I saw uh, Martha Stewart there one day. No I, way. Oh, we saw celebrities all the time. Michael, I love Martha Stewart. You do? Yeah. She taught me how to pack when I travel. She's awesome. <laughs> I love Martha Stewart. She's all right. like my mom away from mom. Aw, Martha. <laughs> uh, yeah, Martha, Rod Stewart. Michael Jordan, other stars, that that's the spot where they go. So you can imagine coming from serving West Palm Beach's finest and richest mm-hmm. to serving West Palm Beach's you fill in the blank, yeah. you know, yeah. two two completely different populations. And um, I absolutely enjoy serving this population more. Yeah, I think when people think about West Palm Beach, Florida, they think Palm Beach, Palm Beach, mm-hmm. not West, but Palm Beach. They think of the rich, the elite. Uh, they think the Beverly Hills of the South. And that's true if the comparison is Beverly Hills to Palm Beach. It's the exact same thing, only one is West Coast, one's East Coast. But when you consider West Palm Beach, that is just a regular city with an inner city. There is no inner city in Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. Palm Beach just is wealth no matter where you go. You can go to the inner city of Palm Beach and it's wealth. You can go to the outer city of Palm Beach and it's wealth. It's just wealth. It's mansions. There's no slums. There's no slum lords. There's no, you know, there's no ghetto in Palm Beach. But in West Palm Beach, you have the whole range of everything from, you know, I could live in Palm Beach, but I don't want to. So I live in West Palm to like the actual homelessness that you see in downtown West Palm Beach. It's It, it runs the whole gamut. So how do you feel about the level of poverty that you that you see and that you might deal with on a maybe a daily basis. How do I feel about it? (laughs) Um, Well, it's really interesting because uh, when I went to Palm Beach Atlantic University, it's kind of in the middle between, you know, the city of West Palm Beach 
and it's you know right across away from Palm Beach Island. Um, and I really thought that I knew what I was surrounded by. I thought that I was in the know about about poverty and about um, the inner city population and. Um, I just wasn't. I wasn't exposed to it. Um, I think I was scared of homeless people for a really long time, um, scared of interacting with people from the Tamarind community, um, just scared, scared of the unknown, I think, is what it was. Um, but then when I started working here, I was like, we're, we're all the same. Everything's the same. Um, it's just that there's a huge gap between um, between PBA kids mm-hmm. and and our Tamarind kids or urban youth kids, you know. Um, and just recently I went on a mission trip to Thailand um, where I was doing pretty much the exact same work that I'm doing here, just in Thailand with Thai kids. Yeah. And uh, they were the same, same same kids. They're just, you know, they want all the same things. They want love. They want to belong. They just want someone to invest in them. Um, so, yeah, yeah. The interesting thing, what you said about Thailand and about um, – West Palm and kids and poverty and stuff like that. Um, poverty actually does look the same no matter where you go. Like ghettos kind of look the same no matter where you, they had the similar feel. Um, you, you know when you're riding through like a touristy part of town or and, and then when you enter the inner city or where all the poverty is. Would you say that's true? I mean, when you lived in, let's say, England, w- was that was that true there? Um, well, England is a bad example. I was pretty young, but um for example, in Germany, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, any any state, any country, wherever you go, it's pretty much the same. Just depending on where you go, it, it might be more frequent that you see it or not so frequent. So you're at Urban Youth Impact and you're the discipline coordinator. Why is, why is your job important and what is it that you actually do? Mm. The goal of my job is... Uh, heart transformation, not behavior modification. So you could compare my job to some people have said like a vice principal. Um, So people have compared it to a behavior analyst. Um, Basically what I do is um, kids who are having behavior issues, um, I conference with them, coach them through why they're doing what they're doing, what they could do better next time. Um, And you asked why why it's important, right? Yeah, why is it important? Especially here. I don't know if it's the same in other inner cities. It probably is. I think it's even frequent in not inner cities, even on Palm Beach Island. Giving kids the tools to think through their decisions, why they're doing what they're doing, um, you know, hopefully in the process, point them to Jesus and get them to see um, that their actions have consequences, um, that they're affecting other people, um, helping them realize, you know, what kind of person they want to be. Um, it's a really unique job. Now you said that um, that your faith journey brought you to West Palm and helped you choose PBAU Sight Unseen. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, how did you come to the faith? Well, my mom raised me Catholic, so I went to Catholic Mass or Catholic Church um, until I was in fifth grade, and I have always been the kind of person that just asks why asks questions finds the holes in things so um, I would ask a lot of questions and just wouldn't get them answered so um, around fifth or sixth grade I stopped going to Catholic Church and just kind of like wandered around for about a year or so Uh, and then we moved to Germany and um, there's this missions organization called Cadence and they minister to military families and kids. Um, so they had a youth group on our base mm-hmm. and I was the new kid on the block, found some friends. They invited me to youth group. I started asking questions and I had 
several youth pastors invest in me and take the time to help me answer those questions or at least say, there's not really an answer to that question, but um, hopefully I can help you be okay with that. Uh, So that was my faith journey through middle school, just kind of getting to know who Jesus is, learning about the Bible, just the basics, baby Christian. Mm -hmm. High school hit, went through a bunch of struggles, um, hit a lot of sin in my life, and um, I didn't really get serious about it and start turning myself around um, until the end of high school, and that's when I when I picked PBA. Now, what kind of um, questions would a young Michelle Turner ask a youth group leader? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of, like, appropriate questions. <laughs> um, okay, let me rewind all the way back. So when I was in second or third grade, I tell this story all the time. We were in science class one day, and we were learning about planets, I think, mm-hmm. and I said something like, how do we know that these pictures are real? Like, how do we know someone's not just taking pictures of something or drawing something and putting them in the science books? And everyone just looked at me and they were like, what? (laughs) And I remember that specifically. Another time I remember specifically saying, uh, someone asked me if I was a Christian when I was really young. And um, I was like, well, I don't know. They're like, do you believe in God? I was like, I don't know. And everybody was like, Michelle's an atheist, like freaking out. (laughs) And... um, I just, I truly was just honest with myself and I said, I don't, I don't know. So I think when I got into middle school, um, I started asking very specific questions about wording. Um, I was fixated on, um, you know, I wish I could come up with like specific scriptures that I would ask about, but uh, maybe, maybe stories that are repeated in the New Testament, like in the Gospels. Well, why does this one say that um, there were 500 people there? And this one says that there's 200 um, or, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, I think I was really like pointing to the question of how do we know that the Bible is accurate mm-hmm. and, and inspired by God? Um so I didn't realize it at the time, but those were the questions I, I was asking. Did you get answers to those questions? Did someone actually sit down with you and take the time to chop it up and say, well, Michelle, this is why there was 4,000 people in this account and 5,000 people in this account. Did they tell you? Uh, they never, sometimes they did. Sometimes, okay. sometimes they gave me specific answers, but sometimes they would point me to resources to where I could go and, and learn about those things myself, which was cool because they were equipping me to mm-hmm. be strong in my faith. Um, at times when I just wanted the answer. Yeah. So um, I remember specifically, I think I read The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Yeah. Um, and then I I know that he's written a few other ones, like The Case for Faith, The mm-hmm. Case for God. Um, so I, I read one or two of those, um, and those just helped me logistically figure out, you know, why is the Bible true? Yeah, yeah. And for those, those of you who might be listening, Lee Strobel is uh, – is a journalist uh, for, well, was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, I think. And he wrote a book to actually um, disprove Christianity because his wife became a Christian before he did and started coming home and asking him to go to church and he wasn't feeling it and he didn't want to do it. So he just wanted to disprove the whole thing so that he can say, hey, look, you're in a cult or you're a part of a hoax and there is no Jesus or whatever. So in his research and writing this book, he actually became a Christian. And so he's since not working at the paper and is all over the world speaking about Christianity and how he found Jesus and all that stuff, which is really cool because someone who decided, I'm going to disprove this whole thing. You know, I know it's been around for 2000 years, but I'm just going to put a hole in it right now. And that's going to be it. Decides to actually pledge his allegiance and his heart to the King of Kings and 
now spends the rest of his life uh, telling people why there is a case for Christ. So that's awesome that you got involved in that. Kind of got sidetracked with the Lee Strobel story. But <laughs> so you're here with kids in the city and you're talking them through stuff about the decisions they make on a daily basis, getting them to see that they can choose other things than what their default might allow them to choose. Because really, when it comes down to it, our default is what we fall back on. Mm-hmm nine times out of 10. So how do you get them to redirect from what they are comfortable with to kind of what they need to be doing? I think it's funny the way that you asked it, just how do you how do you get them to do it? Sometimes you don't, <laughs> and uh, sometimes you do. I think the, the most frequent uh, default that kids go to is either anger, denial, um, or sadness. And um, in all of those situations, I found it extremely helpful at first to just take a step back. Um, I found that, you know, I was a psych major in college and, you know, our brains do crazy things, but first and foremost, when we get approached with an issue, the primitive part of our brain is just like firing like crazy and um, we just need a minute to step back. And so I let kids just kind of step back. I say, hey, I'm here, I'm trying to help you. I'll give you five minutes and like, let's come back to it. Then that usually helps and we come back to it. And I try to ask really just short and to the point questions. Why did you do that? What was your goal in doing that? And nine times out of 10, if I ask them, was that the right thing to do? They know, they know it wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't the right reaction. So um, that's when I point them to, what could you do better in the future and why? Why is it important to care about other people's feelings? Why is it important to be responsible um, on campus? Why is it important to be respectful to authorities? And at least if we can talk about that and get it out there and get the kids to acknowledge it, um, then after that, I feel like it's a matter of just repetition and of mm-hmm. um, consistency um, and showing that those things are true. Okay, so you work in the inner city of West Palm Beach, and you're half Filipino, half... Caucasian. Half Caucasian, half Filipino, and you work with predominantly African-American kids. Does race ever play a part into your everyday job? Not directly, I've had kids ask me questions about, you know, what are you? Like, what? where do you come from? Where's your mom from? Um, and I just tell them straight up where she's from. And um, I think one major problem about um, just being in that snow globe of poverty is that kids are not exposed to other cultures necessarily, other races, other ethnicities. And so my race or ethnicity gives me the opportunity to expose kids to other things and tell them, hey, my mom is from, you know, the other side of the world where, you know, we eat this or um, they do this just like you do. And the kids find it really encouraging and like fun to learn about. Yeah, you're right about that. I just was at a conference earlier this week where we were talking a lot about race. And um, there was a guy who had grew up in a, a, a city close to West Palm Beach, Riviera Beach. And he made the statement that he was 14 before he crossed the tracks in his own city. Like mm-hmm. 14. Think about that. <clears throat> From birth to 14 years old, like a year before you can get your learner's permit to drive, before he ever crossed the tracks in a city that he was born in. And I think that really that's reflective of a lot of uh, cities with inner cities. Where they are, where, where people happen to be, is their whole world, right? They don't really try to get out of that. They don't really, they, they might want to, um, but they just are boxed in from whatever. It happens to be circumstances, um, finances, whatever, um, racism, whatever the box may, might happen to be. 
but, but they're just like, that's it for them. That's their whole circle of influence in their whole world. And, and then when someone like you comes in and is different and looks different, that's life-changing for them. Have you ever had a kid be angry at you and, and say something that was like weird? <laughs> Not about race, but yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I remember actually the first day I came to Urban Youth, I introduced myself on the mic at, at whole group time where all the kids were. Uh, I said, hey, my name's Miss Turner. I can't wait to get to know you guys. And someone yelled from the crowd, are you from Japan? <laughs> and I just ignored it. I straight up ignored it. I was like, moving on, <laughs> just said something else. But um, then I got to think through it later and like, why did they ask that question? They're like, just never seen somebody who's Asian, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's so true. Are you from Japan? That's awesome. <laughs> you got to you gotta give it up for the kids in the city, man. They're all, they're honest, if anything. You know, they'll just, whatever comes to mind, they'll just shout it out. So clearly you're not from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> So, man, I've learned, like, a lot about you uh, in this short conversation. So you're here at Urban Youth. You're the discipline coordinator. You're trying to transform hearts. Um, Why is that important versus behavior modification? Heart transformation over behavior modification. Well... I guess the biggest thing I would say is just that, you know, I'm not going to be with these kids forever. So what happens when they go into high school and, you know, like a kid that we know, you know, almost gets shot in high school because they're not respecting others mm-hmm. um, or uh, just whatever, you know, they're, I'm not going to be around forever. So how can I help them, you know, have this implanted in themselves um, to to be successful later on in life and, you know, furthermore to actually have, you know, hopefully through me, the Holy Spirit is working in them and um, and just kind of pushing them towards a direction where, where they're trying to be a more Christ-like person. So I feel like that's why it's important. I actually had a conversation with a kid the other day and um, he was telling me, I don't have self-control. I'm like, sure you do. And he's like, no, I don't. I'm like, well, you know what happens to people with no self-control, right? And he's like, no. I'm like, well, prison. I mean, prison's full of people who can't control impulses. They they have no self-control, so that's that's where they end up. That's where they go. And he's like, I'm not going to prison. I'm like, but you said you don't have self-control. And he was like, well, maybe I do. And I'm like, well, you have to. I'm like, and then, you know, since the kid was African-American, I took the time to address him as an African-American man, right? I'm like, listen— you watch the news, or maybe you don't, I don't know. But if you do, you know that as an African-American young man, you cannot afford not to have self-control because it's life or death, really. Um, and so I don't know if that got through to him or not. Hopefully it did. But really the stakes are too high for African-American kids to just have a cop out or a crutch. I don't have self-control. Right. Okay, well then... I'll see you on the T-shirt, you know. Where do you want to go from here? I mean, like, so you're here in West Palm, and you're a discipline coordinator, transforming hearts, uh, and trying to not just modify behavior. And let me just back up real quick. So with that conversation and with what you said, that you're not going to be here for forever with these kids, um, there was this cool commercial that I used to see, right? Um, and I can't remember the company or even what they were selling, but I remember the message of it, and it was this father telling his, you know, son, hey, tie your shoes, you don't want to trip. And then, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. And then, like, he's right behind him, like, every step, everything that he's telling him, he's, like, with him. And then he's saying, um, you know, 
don't talk to strangers. And then one day, you know, the kid's walking, and you just assume, because the whole commercial, his dad has been there, uh, that his dad's with him this time. And so a kid comes up and asks him, hey, man, you want to go, you want to go do drugs? And so when the camera pans back, there is no dad. So, I mean, it leads you to think that, all right, so his dad's been telling him all this stuff, preparing him for a moment where he wasn't around. What's he going to do? Is he going to do the right thing or is he going to do the wrong thing? And so you're absolutely right. You can only train them for as long as they're with you. And then when they're not with you, either the training kicks in or the default kicks in. Mm -hmm. And hopefully because it's a modified heart and not behavior modification, it will be the training, right? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Did you you see what happened to the kid? (laughs) Well, the beauty of cinema, even though it's a commercial, is they just leave you wondering what he chose. They they just faded to black, and then the tagline for the commercial came up. So I don't know if he ever went and smoked a a joint or if he, like, said, nah, man, I'm not into that. I don't remember. Well, and that's the beauty of what we do. We don't know what choices our kids are going to make, and we can raise someone up who we think um, is going to be president of the United States one day and and then they totally just you know make the wrong choice one day and and it spirals from there or you know someone comes up as the underdog and totally surprises everyone that way um, mm. but it's it's cool to see even you know I've only been working here a year but it's cool to see the kids who have transitioned from middle school to high school starting to make better choices what's the favorite part about your job <laughs> there's a lot um, my favorite part about my job is actually the moments when when nothing is going on and I get to walk through the hallways and, and see what the kids are doing. Um, because the kids, you know, they see me walking through and they're waving to me through the windows and stuff. And then I'll pop in the classroom and I'll just go, hey, do you need some help with your homework? And that's the moment um, when I feel like you get to build a relationship with a kid. Not, I mean, of course, any discipline, but they're not going to listen to you unless you have a relationship with them. Um, that's why uh, this summer was my first experience with Urban Youth's um, Summer Jam program. And it was mostly just, you know, going to the pool, like going to the science museum, different field trips, eating ice cream, like just so much fun. But even that was purposeful because we get to spend time with the kids and, and just show them that we do love them and care about them. So when, when the rubber meets the road in TLA, they're ready to listen. Yeah, I have a friend, CT, and what he says is uh, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And that's so true. The kids don't want to listen to you if, if they don't know you and they don't know you care about them. They don't want anything to do with you, much less have you tell them don't do this and don't do this because it's wrong. They, they care less than like, you know, go somewhere or whatever. <laughs> so, Michelle, what's what's next for you? What's what's the future hold for Michelle Turner? Not sure. The ideal is, um, and you and I have talked about this before. Just um, both of us really love education, love learning. Um, I would love to go get a graduate degree anywhere that would pay for me to go there, whether it's through a grad assistantship or whatever. Probably get a doctorate. Um, PsyD in clinical psychology and then see what happens from there. They have lots of internships in those programs. And so I would love to just explore different environments, whether it's mental health or working with kids and families or in a hospital somewhere um, and just see, you know, what's out there. What would I really love to do? But I've always had a passion for kids and I've always had a passion for just just like listening and and restoring things, because um, as I talked about earlier, 
someone took the time for me in middle school to invest in me and see me through my faith journey and through my life journey and just listen. Even when I wasn't looking for answers, they were just there. I would love to work in a place where where I can advocate for those kids, whether it might be, you know, like a kid's home or somewhere like Urban Youth Impact or (laughs) something like that. Just, you know, helping kids realize someone here cares for you. What are you going to do about it? That's cool. So if someone heard this podcast and they wanted to reach out to you, ask you a question that maybe that I did not ask. Oh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to pause on that because I'm going to play a game with you. All right. (laughs) It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So don't don't freak out on me. All right. So we're going to play a game and it's called this or that. And it's a rapid fire answer right. game. I'm familiar. Are you really? I mean, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Okay, so here we go. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Burger King or McDonald's? McDonald's. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Drama or rom-com? Rom-com. Dag. <laughs> I would have never picked that for you. <laughs> never, ever picked that. Okay. Um, Nike or Reebok? Nike. Converse or Nike? Nike. Weren't you going to say Vans? (laughs) Vans or Nike? Vans. There you go. Uh, Let's see. Day or night? Uh, Day. Afternoon or day? What's the uh, day still? Yeah. Summer or winter? Winter. South or north? South. East or west? West. Up or down? Down. Michelle or Turner? Both. (laughs) (laughs) What? That last one's just to throw you off. Um, just to throw you, you off. You threw me off with the whole thing, so. You said you played before, I, though. I, ha- I have played. I was just like, man, where is this going to go? I thought you were going to ask, like, a very pointed question, and I was just going to blurt out some, like, you know, in, in the back of my conscience, but I don't know. Yeah, see, the whole thing was just designed to, like, lighten the moment. That's all. <laughs> so hopefully that's what it did. Um, but I did find out some stuff about you, though. Yeah. That you're a Nike head. Yeah, I love Nike, love Vans. I was not paid to say that. And no free shoes will be coming oh. because you said that. Just just so you know. <laughs> just just want to put that out there as well. <laughs> and that you're, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, nocturnal person. I really am not a night person. Um, if I have work to do, I will wake up super early to do it. Like in college, I would wake up at 4 a.m. to finish a Whoa. paper rather than stay up till 2. Whoa. That's yeah. like ungodly. Mm. I like it. And actually, right now, um, I'm doing this thing where I purposefully wake up super early. I plan my REM cycles. It's really weird. But I plan my REM cycles. How do you even begin to do something like plan your REM cycle? Well, everybody's REM cycle is around like an hour and a half. So let's say I go to bed at 10 o'clock. Okay, you're supposed to go through like five or six REM cycles in a night to have a good night's sleep. So, okay, count five or six from there. And then plan to wake up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning or whatever. So and it really has helped me feel rested (laughs) as an aside. The fact that you even have that in your head is like a whole nother level (laughs) of organized. I mean, that's just crazy. Plan your REM cycle of. Okay, yeah, we can't be friends. (laughs) That's just wow. Maybe maybe I should ask you how to do that so I could feel more rested. Maybe. Nah, mm. nah, we won't do that. So if people can uh, wanted to ask you other questions and reach out to you, how would they do that? Well, my Instagram is at ohheymerch. Merch is my nickname, so at ohheymerch. Um, or you can email me, mturner at urbanyouthimpact.com. Sweet. 
Well, thanks for being brave enough to come on with me. I appreciate it. I've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate the dialogue and the conversation, Michelle. You're, you're awesome. Well, great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So that's going to do it for this edition of The Sojourn. Thank you for walking and journeying with us. We will see you next time. That's the journey. Enjoy the trip. <laughs>